So there you go. That was VBS this past week. Uh, so glad for those of you uh, parents who sent your kids this week. Let us have them for a couple of hours uh, every night. Teach them about Jesus and God's plan for their life. Um, a big thank you to Miss Jennifer. If you see her in the hallway, tell her thank you for her leadership and organization and uh, creativity for this week. Uh, so grateful for her. And if you volunteered, thank you. We could not do anything at Journey without our volunteers. And so thank you uh, for those of you who showed up every night and helped lead kids. Uh, it was a wonderful week. We had around 70 kids who came uh, to Vacation Bible School all throughout this week. We had three kids uh, give their life to Christ this week and several others that are asking questions, praying about it, talking to mom and dad about it. So just a really exciting week. If you came in the back, uh, you probably noticed peanut butter and jelly all the way down the hallway. Maybe you wondered what that was. Uh, our VBS kids had two projects this week. One was to bring in peanut butter and jelly that we're going to donate to Shepherd Staff Ministry, a food ministry in Logaville, one of our church uh, uh, one of our church partners. We help sponsor them, and we partner on a lot of different projects throughout the year. So grateful for the ministry of Shepherd Staff in our community. But uh, our kids collected 280 jars of peanut butter or jelly throughout the week, which is phenomenal. And then the other project that they had was uh, an offering project. We asked them to bring an offering during the week, and uh, the offering was going to go is going to go to Chosen for Life, uh, foster care ministry in our area. That again we partner with one of our ministry partners. They care for foster families and foster kids, and and reunification of biological families, and meeting needs and in our community, and just do fantastic work. Here in our area. So we asked the kids bring in an offering uh, all week. We had a little competition between the boys and the girls, and the girls won, uh, which I'm, I'm still a little mad about. But um, we had a great week. We collected $916 that will be donated. That's from kids. That's from our kids and, and their parents that they talked into giving them money. But uh, our, our kids brought in uh, an offering, nine, over $900, that we'll be donating all of that to Chosen for Life Ministries. So just a fantastic week, a little bit of an exhausting week for us, uh, but it was awesome. So, so good to see what God did. Um, as, as we think about the series that we're in, I know that we have all thought it, <clears throat> we have all said it, we have all thought it, and then we said it. And it is simply the world would be such a great place if it weren't for people, right? You've, you've thought that. You, you've, some of you have said that. Some of you have said that a lot. Or you've said, my job would be so great if it wasn't for people, if it wasn't for the people that I have to work with, if it wasn't for the customers that we have, if, it wasn't for, if I didn't have to work with people, I would have the greatest job. Or we've said church would be so great if it, no, you didn't say that. No, 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 we don't, we don't, we don't say that. Hey, but, but that's the way life is sometimes, right? You get frustrated, people are frustrating. People can be infuriating. Right? People can be critical. Uh, people can exaggerate. People can be petty. People can be miserable and they can make everybody else miserable. People are difficult. People are, are, are challenging. You've experienced people who complain all the time, like who never have anything good to say about anything. You've experienced people who stir stuff up in the office, uh, in your family, with your friend group, 
Like, if there is conflict, you almost always know where it came from. Because there's that person, those couple of people, they're always stirring things up. There, there's the person that you're never sure what you're going to get. You know that person? Like, you just never, day to day, day, you never, and there's no rhyme or reason. There's no guessing. They are either 110% happy about everything or clinically depressed. There's no in-between. There's no, like, happy middle. They're either loving life or hating everybody. It's one or the other. Never kind of in the, they're never normal. Right? Never normal. You ever, think, you ever think to yourself, well, can people just be normal for a little while? Can I just know some normal people? That would be awesome. People are, people are difficult. People are, are challenging. They're, they're, they're sometimes difficult to get along with. And again, you, you go into meetings sometimes. You go into conversations sometimes with this same person, and you, you never know if they're going to be accommodating and helpful and constructive, or like today's the day they're going to burn it all down. You just never know. They're going to be one or the other. Uh, they're going to be encouraging, or they're going to be full of conflict. There is the... Um, there is the what are you talking about, person? Like, do you have those people in your life? Like, every time you have a conversation with them, you're 10 minutes in and you're thinking, I have no idea what you're talking about. What are you trying to say? What are you talking about? If you're old enough to remember Seinfeld, Seinfeld gave us all of these categories for people, right? The close talker, the low talker, the double dipper, the regifter, the anti-dentite. Seinfeld had all of these categories for difficult people. And you probably have a lot of categories for difficult people as well. And they just kind of fill slots in your mind. Um, we deal with difficult people. If you're the leader of a group, an organization, you definitely deal with difficult people. Because difficult people seek out the leaders, right? Everything kind of drifts up to the leaders. All the complaining, all of the conflict, all of the disappointment, it, it kind of makes its way to the leader. We're, we're talking about Moses, who was a leader. He's leading, by some estimates, 2 million people out of Egypt, through the wilderness, over to the promised land. And in addition to being a part of miracles and, and calling plagues on Egypt and parting the Red Sea and, and, and manna coming down from the sky, in addition to all of those wonderful, miraculous things that happen, Moses has to deal with people has to deal with people. And, and no matter what else he did, no matter, no matter what else his accomplishments were, problem people just seem to find him. Complaining people, conflict just seem to always find him. I mean, think about it. This is the guy who led the people of God out of slavery. Like, set them free. Like, you're not a slave anymore. You don't have to deal with any of this anymore. They saw him hold his staff up and God parts the Red Sea, they saw that happen. Manna rains down from heaven. He goes up on a mountain, talks to God, brings tablets of stone that God has written on, and that guy still had people problems. You're not going to escape it. One time Moses goes up on the mountain, and when he comes down, his face is actually glowing. It's not a metaphor. His, he's been in the presence of God for so long that his face is glowing. Everybody sees it. It kind of alarms everybody. He's been in the presence of God. His face is glowing. If Glow Guy had people problems, you are going to have people 
problems. Doesn't matter how talented you are. Doesn't matter how good your personality is. You are going to have people problems. And so here's Moses. These miraculous moments. And then we, re- then we read the story and we see these really mundane, everyday people problem moments. It happened to Moses. It's going to happen to you. We're going to talk about problem people in Moses' life. But here's where I want to start. Before we talk about the challenges that he faced with people, before we talk about the conflicts and and the difficulties that Moses faced with people, let's acknowledge that Moses did have encouraging people in his life. There were people who stepped up and supported him. We read a lot of stories of people conflict and and, and, uh, problems with people, but Moses had some people in his corner. Uh, One of those was a guy by the name of Jethro. This was Moses' father-in-law. Uh, Moses has to flee Egypt after he kills the Egyptian and meets Jethro and his family, ends up marrying one of Jethro's daughters, spends 40 years being a shepherd with Jethro, developed what apparently from the story, Moses developed this really close relationship with Jethro. So when Moses leads the, the Hebrew children out of Egypt and through the Red Sea, Jethro's not with them. He's actually at his house. And Moses, uh, wow, Moses' um, uh, wife and two sons are with his father-in-law. So as they're making that three-month journey to Mount Sinai, Jethro sends a message to Moses and says, hey, I'm coming out to meet you. I want to hear what's been happening. He'd missed all the stories. He'd missed all the miracles. I want to hear what's been happening in your life. I'm going to bring your wife and your two sons with you. We pick up the story in Exodus chapter 18. This is verse 7. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord has saved them. When something good happens to you, when something good happens to you, aren't there a couple of people that you want to share that with? Aren't there a couple of people in your life, or at least one person in your life, when you have some success... When you achieve some goal, isn't there that one person that you want to have coffee with? Hey, let's go to lunch. I got to tell you what happened. You pick up the phone, you call, you start texting. This is so incredible what just happened. Hopefully we all have that person or those people in our life. For Moses, one of those people was his father-in-law. Like He had this close relationship so when God sent plagues and parted the Red Sea and used Moses to lead the people out of Egypt Moses wanted to sit down with his father-in-law and say you won't believe what happened this is how his father-in-law responded verse 9 of Exodus 18 Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians He said, praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. That person you thought of, if you thought of a person just a minute ago, that you want to tell good news whenever you have it, one of the reasons you want to tell them is because you know they will celebrate what happened in your life. 
you know that person will be just as excited, sometimes more excited than you are about this incredible thing that happened for you. That's the way Jethro was. He's like, this is amazing. God has been so good to you. These, these incredible things that God has done for you. I am so happy for you. We need those people in our lives. And we need to remember that they're there. We need to remember that, remember that there are some people like that in our lives. Jethro is one of those. He didn't just offer encouragement. He wasn't just happy for what had happened to Moses. He offered wisdom and counsel to Moses. Not trying to tell him what to do. Not trying to get in his business. But because he cared about Moses, he said at one point, Hey, look, I think there's a better way. Uh, as Jethro's visiting, he notices Moses is making all of the decisions for the people. Moses is handling all of the disagreements. So people are lined up all day long waiting to get to Moses to tell him their problems so that Moses can make a decision. And Jethro pulls Moses aside at one point. He says, look, you can't keep doing this. You're going to be exhausted. And not only are you going to be exhausted, but the people are standing in the sun all day long. They're exhausted. Everybody's exhausted. You've got to delegate. You've got to move some of this off of you onto other leaders. That's exactly what Moses does. He sets up a system of, of leadership and decision-making. He delegates smaller decisions out to other people. And so only the, the truly significant decisions actually come to Moses, this, this was a help. This was an encouragement. This was somebody saying, I'm on your side. I'm on your team. I believe in you. And don't we all need that? Don't, don't we all need that person saying that to us? Another example. The previous chapter, Exodus 17. Moses tells Joshua that he's to take some men and they're to go battle with the Amalekites. And Moses says, I'm going to go up. I'm going to be on this mountain. I'm going to have the staff of the Lord. This is the staff that Moses had with him for all of the other miracles. I'm going to take the staff of the Lord. and I'm going to go up on that mountain. And then the Bible tells us an interesting fact about what happened when Moses held his hands up in the staff. Joshua and the Israelites were prevailing against the Amalekites. They were winning the battle. And then when Moses got tired and he lowered his arms and the staff, the Amalekites started winning. So two of Moses' friends, one, of, one was his brother, Aaron and Hur, decide, let's get a big rock. Moses, you sit on this big rock. Aaron will stand on one side. Hur will stand on the other. And we'll hold your arms up so you don't have to do this by yourself. We will be strength for you. We will stand with you. You are not by yourself. And, 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 and so while we're going to talk about a lot of problems that Moses encountered, a lot of problem people that Moses encountered, not everybody was a problem to Moses. Not everybody was discouraging to Moses. I, I bring this up at the beginning. Because it is really easy to focus on the problem people in their life. They consume our attention. They consume our thinking, for most of us. They fill up our brain space, right? They live rent-free. 
We're, we're always thinking, our, our mind tends to go to, how do we solve this problem? How do we address that problem? How do we fix that problem person? How do we deal with that conflict? They have a way of just sucking all of our energy, and if we're not careful, the problem people get all of our attention, and we fail to see the encouraging people in our life. The problem people draw our eye, they draw our attention, they draw our energy, and there's reasons for that. I understand that. I'll mention that in just a second. They draw all of our energy away, and we forget sometimes, or we don't prioritize the fact that they're, they're actually people who build me up. I'm not just surrounded by people who dislike me. There are actually people in the world who like me. And that's a good thing to remember. Because if you're not careful, you'll give all of your time, you'll give all of your attention, you'll give all of your energy to those who drain you. It's just, I think it's just part of our nature. Just part of our nature to, to, to feel like, well, I've, I've got to deal with that first. One of the reasons is encouraging positive, helpful people in our lives, they aren't going to burn anything down if, if we don't get to them. Like, they're not going to destroy everything. There's a part of our brain that says, well, if I don't deal with the conflict people, this could get out of hand. Like, this could spread, and it could go to that part, and then that could be a big problem. And, and, and the people who believe in us, they're going to be just fine if we don't talk to them, but we're probably not going to be fine. We're not going to be fine if we're constantly giving out of our energy to challenging, difficult people and not spending time with those who pour into our lives. <clears throat> I was with, uh, I, I was at a conference many years ago. Francis Chan was speaking. I don't remember anything he said other than this one illustration. He was talking about the church is the body of Christ, right? That's, that's an analogy that Paul uses. The church is like a human body. We're all different parts. We all have different gifts, but we all need to work together. And he made the statement that when it comes to problem people in the church, he kind of thinks they're like the appendix. They don't do anything, but at any moment they could explode and kill all of us, right? That's the way problem people are like. Right? It's like you're not, you don't really contribute anything, but you could blow things up really fast. For that reason, we feel like we've got to give all of our attention to making people happy, fixing problems, making sure the, the conflict is managed. And I just want to start this message by saying that's real. Like people problems are real, but in your life, just like in my life, there are people who encourage you got to give yourselves to those people too. You got to spend time with those people too. You, you got to allow your heart to be taken care of by the people who believe in you, the people who like you, the people who are on your side. Doesn't mean that everything you do is perfect, right? That's not what it means. But it does mean that you need to give ample time to the people who encourage you because. The problem people can always seem like the majority. Their voices are always a little bit louder. Right? Their, their emotion is always a little bit harsher. So they always feel like the majority. Sometimes they are the majority. Moses is leading upwards of 2 million people. And there were times in his story, the majority of them were complaining. Which is all the reason more to identify the few people or the group of people or the person that most encourages you and make sure you're given ample time to those people. 
while Moses had encouragers in his life, obviously, where we're going with this message, uh, he, he had a lot of people that were a discouragement to him as well. He had, he had people challenges the whole time. If you've read this story before, if you've heard this story before of Moses, you know it is punctuated with people problems. Here's a couple of groups of people that he had to deal with. Moses had to deal with chronic complainers. Just never good enough. Never measured up. Wasn't the way they wanted it. Whenever Moses and God responded to a complaint, they would complain about the way they responded. Or they would find something else to complain about. Like they never got, it's like trying to get to the end of the internet. Like they never got to the end of the complaint. There was always a new one. There, there was always a twist on the old one. There was always an exaggeration, exaggerating how good it used to be, exaggerating how terrible it is now, exaggerating how terrible Moses is as the leader. Some of you have experienced this. You, you're in leadership roles where you are. Exaggerating about you, about your leadership, about your decisions. Here's a couple of examples. Exodus chapter 16. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Just a little dramatic, is it not? Just a little, dramatic, just a little bit of an exaggeration. They grumbled. They complained. They wanted to die, again with the drama. They mischaracterized what the past was like. Do you, you hear what their recollection of Egypt was? We just sat around in Egypt, pots of stew. We just ate everything we wanted. It's like a buffet all the time. They seem to have forgotten that they were slaves in Egypt. They were treated ruthlessly, cruelly. We saw that in the first message of this series. They, they seem to have forgotten their treatment, and oh, by the way, all of their baby boys were being murdered. They somehow left that out of the story. Oh, it used to be so great, the last place I worked at. It used to be fantastic. Oh, the last group of friends I had. Like, exaggerating how wonderful the past was and, and how terrible... The present is, that's what chronic complainers do. They cherry pick past and present. They cherry pick their complaints. They maximize what they're complaining about. And Moses heard this day after day. Another example, Numbers chapter 11. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said... If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. It was free. It's like, oh, you can eat buffet. Free. We didn't pay anything. It was so great in Egypt. Also, the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. I like the way they, they describe the group. They call them the rabble. Like that's the NIV's trend, the rabble. Like you don't need that defined. You know the rabble. You know what the rabble sounds like. You know what it's like dealing with the rabble. Some of you think of thinking of names and faces right now that go in the rabble. The rabble just kept stirring things up. They were never satisfied. They were always complaining. One more. 
Exodus 17, the whole community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And there's example after example. We're not going to read them all. Example all throughout this story. It's just punctuated with people complaining, people not satisfied, people accusing People talking about how good it used to be and how terrible it is now. Casting doubt on Moses' leadership ability. Casting doubt on Moses' decision-making ability. Constantly complaining. But it wasn't just the chronic complainers that Moses had to deal with. Moses had to deal with the rebellious. The spiritually rebellious. In some ways, everything we talked about up till now is sinful, okay? A critical spirit is sinful. Chronic complaining is sinful. A lack of gratitude is sinful. All of that is sinful, but there were, there were points in the story of the Hebrew nation where they were openly defiant to what God had told them. They were intentionally, on purpose, rebellious to the things of God. A couple of those examples. One, Moses goes up on Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. We talked about this earlier. In one of those trips, he spends 40 days. The people at the bottom of the mountain get tired of waiting for him. They want a golden calf. They want an idol they can see. And so before Moses even comes down from the mountain, they've already disobeyed God by making an image and worshiping a God other than the one true God this was rebellion against God this was sin this was defiance against God openly rebelling against him another one another major one numbers 13 and 14 Moses sends spies into the promised land and God has promised them the land God has said I want you to go in I want you to take the land Moses picks out 12 spies, sends them in to spy out the promised land. When they come out, two of them say, let's trust God. Let's trust God to go in there. He's going to do this. We, we can believe him. And 10 of them say, can't be done. Can't be too many giants. The territory is too treacherous. We will die if we go in there. Again, they begin to exaggerate. They begin to complain amongst themselves. Numbers 14, verse 1 says, That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. They, they don't trust Moses anymore. More importantly, they don't trust God. It's not that they don't, they don't trust Moses. The problem is, they don't trust God. They're rebelling against what God has told them to do. The whole reason he brought them out of Egypt was to put them into the promised land. He had promised he would accomplish that. And they are now living in open defiance. The rest of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, use this group of people as a warning. They are referenced again and again. And every time they're referenced... Whoever's writing says, don't be like them. 
don't be like the rebellious. Don't be like the ones who defied the word of God. He, he, he dealt with the complainer. He dealt with the rebellious, like real live sinners. Another group, and maybe the most difficult group. Moses was disappointed by the people close to him. People close, people he had a relationship with. Chronic complainers exhaust you, but they don't disappoint you relationally. You come to expect that of some people. You just know this is how that person's always going to react. You go into a meeting and you know, I know exactly what that person's going to say. Like you, it, It's still exhausting. It still weighs on you. But there's a difference in just somebody in the office who's always complaining and somebody that you're close to questioning you, attacking you questioning your leadership, questioning your discernment, questioning your just always complaining to you. When, it, when it, somebody is close, when somebody you feel like you have a relationship with, you have the thought of, you know, could, couldn't we have talked about, couldn't you and I have talked about this before you said it to 30 people? There is a level of hurt that goes with being disappointed by somebody you're close to. Moses experienced this too. It wasn't just random chronic uh, complainers out there. It wasn't even just kind of the wholesale rebellion. It was specific people that he was close to. When they built the golden calf, it, it wasn't just that the people were rebelling against God. It's that Aaron, his brother, his friend, his helper, was leading it. He comes back down the mountain, and there's his, his brother who's, who's leading this whole thing. That's a, that's a different category of hurt. Numbers uh, cha uh, chapter 12, Miriam and Aaron again, his sister and his brother, people he was relationally close with, family, people that he had lived his whole life with almost. They are getting the people worked up in questioning Moses' leadership. They're their conversation is something like this. Why does Moses think he's better than all of us? We're just as good as Moses. We talk to God. We're just as good a leaders as Moses. Why does it have to be Moses? Why can't it be us? This is specifically how Numbers chapter 12 writes it. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, or he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. I, what makes Moses so great? He's not better than we are. We're just as good as he is. Why does he get to be the leader? And this was his brother and his sister. These were his friends. These were the people he was close to. Whole different level of hurt. Now, in this story, in this moment, Miriam and Aaron have this outburst. And then verse 3 the camera moves from Miriam and Aaron, and it shows Moses. And we get this little parentheses in your Bible in verse 2. We get this little parentheses that just tells us something about the character of Moses. Verse 3 says this. Now, Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth, which is an incredible description of Moses. Incredible. In, in this moment, 
Moses wasn't always perfect. Moses didn't always handle relational conflict perfectly. In this moment, Moses displays humility. In the midst of disappointment, relational conflict, being attacked, being attacked by someone close to him, and in doing so, Moses begins to show us a pathway for handling relational conflict. And that pathway is humility. Our, our humility will determine how well we manage problem people. Our humility. If we get defensive, if we get reactive, if our emotions get away from us, it's not going to end well. We're going to escalate the conflict. We're going to escalate the problem. In this situation where it would have been possible for Moses to have overreacted in that moment, God gives us a little time out in the story and says, here's what you have to know. At this point, Moses is, is humble. He's, he's the most humble man on, on the earth. And even though these attacks are coming against us, Moses is still walking humbly in this moment to the degree that you and I are humble people we have a better chance at managing relation, relational conflict what are a couple of ways we can do this not an exhaustive list maybe not even an original list but here's two ways you and I can remain humble in the middle of people problems one is to look for truth even in comments delivered by problem people not the first time you've heard that you've heard this phrase in a whole bunch of different ways it's not original to me when a problem person full of emotion and anger and and, and jealousy and, and whatever it is they're bringing to you when that gets to you are you humble enough to at least ask yourself the question is there anything true in what they're saying maybe it's not all true you don't have to own all of it but is there something that I can learn from this? Can, can I be wiser by listening to this? None of it may be true. I mean, there may be times that, that all of it is exaggerated and all of it is made up. But what helps us walk through relational conflict with humility is having the willingness to say, is there any part of this that I need to own? Is there any part of this I need to learn from? Is there any part of this that I could have done differently? I could have done better? Is there any part of this I should apologize for? But Moses was a humble man. The most humble in all the earth. We're told in verse 3, you and I are not going to handle people problems well if our response is reactive. If it's full of emotion. I am not saying that problem people never need to be addressed. That is not what I'm saying. There are times, humbly, in the right frame of mind, there are times that people should be confronted. Discussion should be had. Can we talk about this? That sort of discussion should take place. Sometimes people need that pushback when they're chronic complainers or when they're stirring up trouble, when they're exaggerating. But the way we do that determines how successful we'll be when we do that. Another suggestion. Remember, in this situation, remember that you have been a complainer at some point as well. I wish it weren't true. I, I, I wish it weren't true about me. But there have been instances where I've said too much, with too much emotion, 
too much anger, too much reactive motivation within me. And I wish I could take it back. And there were moments for me when I, when I haven't responded with humility, I've responded with self-importance, I've responded with defensiveness, I've responded with self-righteousness, becoming judge and jury over this whole thing and putting somebody in their place. I, I've been that person too. Maybe I'm the only one in the room. I've been that person. I, I've complained before. I've exaggerated things before. I have been that person. Look, I want to be humble Moses. I have been the rabble before. And if you're honest, you've been the rabble before too. You've been on the other side of that conversation. When somebody's complaining to you, you have been that person to some degree. Maybe we've matured. Maybe we're getting, hopefully we're getting better at that. Hopefully we've learned from our reactive times. But as much as we want to be humble, Moses, we're the rabble sometimes. And, and realizing that often helps me deal with someone who's complaining, frustrated, exaggerating. I've been that person before. It doesn't make everything they're saying or doing right. I'm not saying that. It doesn't mean that I ignored it. It doesn't mean that it doesn't bother me. It means that I realize there's a person on the other side of this. Another thing we see in Moses he teaches us, take your frustrations to the right place. Take your frustrations to the right place. It's not that you're not going to get frustrated by people problems. You will. What do you do with that? Where do you go with that for Moses in his best moments? He was not always a perfect example of this. None of us are. In his best moments, he responded humbly, and he took the issues to God. He talked to God about the issues. He let off his emotions to God. He said, God, what am I going to do? So sometimes he was overly emotional, but he was overly emotional to God. He poured out his heart to God. He said what he needed to say to God. And, and as we do that with, with the relational conflicts, that we deal with what, what God will often do is God will lead us back into humility. God will give us wisdom as to how to handle that situation, how to handle that person. God will perhaps give us empathy for that person. We take our frustrations to God. But here's another thing Moses did. And he did it often in this story. Moses went to God not not just to tell him the problems, not just to complain, not just to vent. Moses went to God on behalf of the people that were causing the problems. Moses prayed for the problem people. Moses appealed to God in his best moments. Moses appealed to God to save and rescue the very people who were questioning his leadership, who were complaining about everything that he did, Moses, Moses said, God, let's, let's help these people. God, let's restore these people. The Bible, <clears throat> the Bible can only use our language and our experiences to help us understand a God who is much bigger than our language and our experiences. 
And sometimes in this story, in order to help us understand just how wrong the people were, how wrong their actions were, and, and how much they violated the holiness and justice of God, God is presented in these stories as being so angry, he just wanted to get rid of everybody. As a way for the narrator to say, this was a big deal. This was really sin. Like this truly violated what God wanted. Here's an example, Numbers 14, 11 through 13. This is, this is when they rejected going into the promised land. They said, no, we're not going to obey you, God. We're not going to go into the promised land. Numbers 14, verses 11 through 13. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them, but I will make you, Moses, into a nation greater and stronger than they. And if I had been Moses, I would have said, deal. Deal. Let's, let's, let's get rid of them. Me and you. We'll start over. Me and you fresh i'm tired of all of them make them go away god me and you let's start over i totally get that totally get that but that's not what moses said moses stood between rebellious people and a holy god and moses said god these are your people that you love God, these people are going to be a testimony to you. Let's not give up on them. Let's not give up on them. As, as angry as they had made him, as, as much as they had questioned his leadership and rebelled against him and rebelled against God, in their sin, Moses is standing before a holy God, justice and judgment, a rebellious people, and saying, let's don't give up on them. And that's a beautiful thing we see about Moses in this. Moses just doesn't give up on people. People we would have given up, I would have given up on. Moses doesn't give up on people. No matter what decisions they make, no matter if they're chronic complainers, no, no, no matter if they're like real life sinners, like they're rebellious people, like they've done things that God is, is disappointed in. God, let's don't give up on them. God, let's don't give in. And of course God wasn't going to give up on them. That this, this picture of Moses standing between rebellious people and a holy God is not just about Moses and the Hebrew people. It's about us. Because many years later, God's son was going to come. Jesus was going to come. And he was going to stand in between a holy God, his justice and his judgment and his righteousness, and all the people who would ever live, you and me, every person who would ever be a problem, every person who would ever sin, every person who would ever disobey God and in God's justice, in God's judgment, he would be righteous to wipe us all out for our disobedience. And Jesus stands between God's judgment and us and takes on our sin. He absorbs your sin and my sin in the cross, dies for us, rises again so that us complainers, us who are the rabble, us who have rebelled against God, 
would have an opportunity to come back into relationship with him in spite of our sin, in spite of our disobedience. The book of Hebrews says, right now Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father and he intercedes for us. He goes to God for us. He speaks to God for us. He knows that we deserve death and judgment. But Jesus and God, his Father, would not give up on us. They would make a way for you and I to be reunited into the family of God, the very God that we sinned against, the very God that we dis obeyed his heart his love his compassion was through Jesus to take all of that sin for us and offer in its place forgiveness and grace and mercy if we would just trust Jesus if we would just believe Jesus this is not just the miracle of Moses this is not just the miracle of the Hebrew children it's our Miracle that God in Christ did not give up on us but loved us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this beautiful picture of Moses who endured rebellion against him, rebellion against you, chronic complaining, chronic grumbling. And yet, when he could have said, let's be done with them, he humbly said, God, these are your people. These are your people. They are a testament to your grace. Jesus came, a humble man, the most humble man on the earth, the most humble man to ever live on the earth, and he was rejected he could have said to his father, let's forget all these people. Let's start over. Let's start new, somewhere else, another people, another place. But he wouldn't give up on us. Even though our sin was deep, our rebellion was real, we are selfish and we complain a lot. God, through Jesus, loved us back into relationship with him because of Christ's death and resurrection. I pray, God, that everyone here has experienced that, that Christ has come alive in their hearts and in their life. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.